Um, Today, I think it's not off topic because today we are looking at a rock star. Well, actually, a, a star of the church. And it's Mary, the mother, or sorry, Mary is not, not the mother of Jesus, but Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. Actually, Jesus said to, about Mary, he said, people are going to talk about what she did. This thing that we read today, he said, people are going to talk about what she did. She's going to be a star. She's going to be a rock star. And people are going to recognize the way in which she pours herself into everything. These two people pour themselves into, just pour themselves into what they do. Just pour themselves into other people and care for other people. That is, that is what, who Martha was. Or sorry, who Mary was. And so we're going to look at the story of Mary, who's the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. Now, if you don't know the whole story, it's... I'll give you a little snippet. Uh, they were friends with Jesus. I don't know. They were just like Jesus's cool friends. And Lazarus was, uh, Lazarus, Mary's brother, was one of Jesus's best friends. And they had been friends for a while, apparently. And then Lazarus gets sick, and, and Mary and Martha send out notice saying, Jesus, we know you've got the ability to heal people, so why don't you heal our brother Lazarus? So the note goes out, and uh, Jesus gets it, but he says, you know, I've got things to do. I've got to take care of people on the way. I've got things in front of me. It's going to be okay. So Lazarus dies. And, and then Martha and Mary are just stricken with grief. Jesus goes and finally visits them three days after, after Lazarus has died and been buried. And he cries too because he loves Lazarus so much, and he loves Mary, and he loves Martha that much. That's how much he feels at home, at their house, and in their family. And so then he says, it's okay, come on out to the grave. And he goes out in front of the grave where Lazarus is buried, and he says, Lazarus, come on out. You know, (laughs) come on down. I don't know if he said it like that. But then Lazarus comes out looking like a mummy, like something from Halloween, covered in these strips of cloth, and he just starts walking out. And, And he's back. He's alive. That's what Jesus did in their, in their family and in their household. So now Jesus, as a result of that, was persecuted. The Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. They were going to kill him. They decided, we've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to take him off the map because he's taking attention away from us. This is because this was a pretty intense miracle. Everybody was talking about it. So Jesus goes into hiding. He start, he's not as public as he used to be. He's hiding now. And and people are all wondering how he's going to avoid getting arrested by the Pharisees and how he's going to avoid this, this trap that they're setting for him to take him out of the picture. And one of the conversation points that they were having is, was he going to show up at the Passover feast? Now, every year the Passover took place in Jerusalem. It was the biggest festival of the year. I've always said it. It's like Christmas, Easter. It's like Thanksgiving and Fourth of July all put together. If we had one holiday and all of those were together, we'd probably blow ourselves up. Or blow up a goat, as some of you have heard it before. But, so I know. Okay, anyway, so, but if, is he going to show up to this? And millions of people who followed God and were faithful to God went to this festival to recognize all the goodness, the extravagant goodness of God in their life. Was Jesus going? Now our scripture starts, and let's jump in and find out uh, what Jesus' plans are. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, 
So immediately, right out, we get some information. Six days before the Passover. This means this is the day before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is the day before Palm Sunday. Okay? If you're looking for the timeline, this is six days before Jesus is crucified. Spoiler alert for those that you don't know that. So this is this, uh, six days before Jesus is crucified. Six days, sorry, go back. Six days before the Passover, the feast, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. Now, I was just curious what nard is. Anybody curious what nard is and what it smells like? Because this says the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. How many people get headaches when they smell a lot of perfume? A lot? Okay, don't smell this. So I'm going on a gamble here. I don't think this will give you a headache. I think, actually, we looked it up, and the, the, the side effects are, are sleepiness, uh, drowsiness, and uh, it has a laxative effect. So my wife says, whatever you do, don't, don't open that stuff up in this worship service because everyone's going to fall asleep or worse. So um, I'm just going to take this and do what, what um, Mary did. And I'm just going to... This is 15 bucks. Can you believe that? $15. This stuff is expensive. She didn't pour out this much, by the way. She poured out a pound, 16 ounces and this isn't even like pure nard. This is just like, this is, this is, it says 100% something, but I can't figure out what it is. But it's nard. And so she just poured out this oil on Jesus. This is very messy. I think I'm going to get in trouble. She just poured out this oil. She poured out this oil on Jesus' feet. Is it dripping everywhere? It's going to stink in here in a second. And, she, and can you imagine you just had like a delicious dinner and then someone walks in with a bottle of Christian Dior and just dumps it on the table? It, it would be very unappetizing. So here's my sermon to pass around with the messy pure nard for anyone who's bold enough. And you can pass it down and you can touch the, uh, just hand that down to people, if you will. And, and this, is, this is pure nard. And uh, Richard Pettis, our worship leader, said the most wonderful thing he said. You can just smell it. Wave it around. Let's make this room stink. Let's get into the scripture a little bit. And there's the lounge for those of you that need to leave. Uh, there's great sound in there, and uh, you have distance. I, d- I tend not to gleek so much. So, oh, this stinks. Um, anyway, so Richard Petty's he said, you know what he said when he, listened, when he smelled this? He said, boy, that really smells like nard. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, the one thing that you need to know is that nard is like the most expensive thing that they could have had in those days. It came from Tibet and India. And that it's not through FedEx. This is, it took a long time for something to travel from Tibet, especially a pound of something. Can you imagine how much it would be to send even a pound of something today through the mail to, to, to Tibet in India? Oh my gosh, this is awful smelling stuff. Um, and it was inside of, we know from the other scriptures, this is one of the only scriptures that is, it is, that is in all four Gospels. That shows how important it is. But it also tells us a lot about it because there's, there's, each take is a little different from each of the Gospels. And by the way, when you have someone tell you, oh, the takes are different in each, each of the Gospels, therefore, therefore it's not accurate. Actually, this says that it really was accurate. 
Because if it was a lie, then it would be collusion. You know, you, when everything matches too neatly, you know that people have gotten together and that they have lied, that they have, they have created a story that's a little too neat. But this story has a lot of different perspectives, so I'm going to throw in a few details. For example, that this, oh wait, go back one. We're still on this room smelling like nard. Um, the, the, the container that the nard was in was pure alabaster from Egypt. So not just the expensive perfume, which the perfume alone in today's money would cost $30,000. Can you imagine that? And then that's not including the alabaster jar, which the other gospels tell us she broke. She smashed this alabaster jar and she, she poured it out on Jesus' feet. Now, this is a weird thing to do, by the way. This is not a normal thing to do. Um, for, you would think that if Jesus is going in to assume the kingship, that the, that the oil would just be poured out on his head. Now, the scripture tells us, it says careful contact. Anyone itching a little bit? Um, yeah, it says careful. Okay. Um, don't touch it too much. It's kind of itchy. Uh, so, uh, so the oil is supposed to be poured out on uh, King's head. And it wasn't just poured out on Jesus' head. It was poured out on his arms and his feet. Now, they say, why would Mary pour this out on Jesus' feet? There's a lot of speculation. And people are like, uh, okay, we remember another story where there was another Mary, Mary Magdalene, who had sinned. And she went to Jesus, and she was repentant. She was giving up. She was crying, and her tears washed over Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And so some people say, was this Mary repenting? I don't think so. Was she trying to draw attention to herself? I, I don't think she was trying to draw attention to herself either. I don't think she was trying to, trying to take over this, the festal celebration. But you know what? Judas has his own take. Do you want to hear what Judas's take is on this? Let's read a little further. Judas says, one of the disciples, he says, it says, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said this. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? One denarii is a day, day's wages. So 300, it's a year's salary. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. And then it goes on to say, Jesus said to him, you leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's, there's a number of ways that we can look at this scripture and look at this passage. And the first thing I think we should do is we should look at it from the perspective of Mary. Why did Mary do this? Why did Mary pour out something so valuable on Jesus' feet? Are you guys smelling it still? Is it smelling out the place? Get that out of here. Somebody just run it out to the trash. This thing is, is, is bothering people. Okay. Why would she pour a year's wages out on Jesus' feet? Why would she do that? One of the new members that joined today said that she went to a Christian worship service, and the pastor of this huge worship service said, if anybody would like to come forward for prayer, uh, we'd just like you to invite you forward. And she said that she walked forward for the prayer, 
And she just felt something special happening in her heart, like a fire, like something beautiful. And then she said she was horrified because she found out that she was the only person who did it in this huge worship service. And I feel like that's what Mary was doing. That she was being, she was willing to stand out and stand up for Jesus. That she was willing to be the person who was different, who could be criticized, who could be who could be shunned for her ridiculous form of worship, whatever it is. I went to a worship conference last week, and the pastor said, hey, you know, if anybody would like to just kneel down in this space, and it was a worship conference full of pastors, and, you know, you could sense that a lot of people felt really awkward about it. And I I felt awkward about it. And so I knew that for me, this was the thing to do. And it wasn't something that everybody else should do, but for me, that moment. And so I walked forward into the front, and I found myself kneeling down and then laying down as he prayed. Whatever that is for you, it's not about copying what someone else does. In fact, that's the problem, is Judas is trying trying to say, these are the rules for loving Jesus, and these are the rules for what we should do. See, Mary was so passionate. There's, there's, a, there's a great um, church forefather, is what they call him. Uh, a church forefather, and his name was John Chrysostom? St. Chrysostom? And is it John? Is it, do you know? Oh, I don't know. We've, we have some, some Bible scholars in here. But he, for, he, he made 70 abbeys. He built 70 abbeys in his lifetime. And it just sounds like a book that someone would create today. But he created a book called um, On Loving God. And it was about going from self-love to self-love that meets us where we are and then takes us where God wants us to be. The conclusion of that journey, he says, is this. Now listen, it's the journey that lands in love of self because of God. Listen to these words he said. This is the love that loses itself, as if, as if you no longer existed. To cease completely to experience yourself, to reduce yourself to nothing, is not a, is not a human sentiment, but it's divine. To reduce yourself to nothing is not a human sentiment but it's divine. He goes on to say, as a drop of water seems to disappear completely in a big vat of wine, or just as red molten iron becomes so much like fire, it seems to lose its primary state. Just as the air on a sunny day seems transformed into sunshine instead of being lit up, so it is necessary for the saints that all human feelings melt in a mysterious way, and flow into the will of God. Do you think it's, I think it's Mary who is loving Jesus in a way that is so passionate and so selfless and so overflowing for Jesus that she's willing to give everything she has, that there's no expense too great for loving Jesus. There's a poem by an English poet, and his name is Robert Browning. Have you heard of him? He wrote a poem called One More Word, 
and he wrote it as a way of talking about the word that he wished he had, the one word that he wishes he had for his wife who was an invalid, for the love that he had for his wife who was an invalid. And he says, so what's the deal with Raphael's sonnets and Dante's picture? What is that? He says this. He said, no artist lives and loves that longs not. Once and only once and for one only. And then he says this. Oh, the prize to find your love language. Fit and fair and simple and sufficient. See, when Mary poured out that, that nard and poured out that, that perfume on Jesus, she was doing something that was meeting her place of passion that she couldn't articulate with words, that words just weren't good enough. They were a way of saying, I love you from the depths of her soul. One great commentary said this, that I was reading this week said, you know, the only thing that Jesus wore on the cross was the perfume that Mary had anointed him. It's the only thing he had left in his life. And then there's Judas. Oh, so critical. He says of her offering, gosh, she really did it wrong. She just, she just, look at her. She, she's way off course. He starts to judge her offering. He starts to say, you know, you, you didn't do the right thing with that perfume. And Jesus, he actually says to Jesus, why wasn't the 300 denarii, wasn't, why wasn't the $30,000 spent on mission? Why wasn't it given to the widows and the orphans? Now, I started to think about Easter in two weeks. Easter worship. You know that we spend at this church so much money on flowers? Did you know that? Like, our flower fund is so, so enormous. And, and Skip has these enormous, like, I, the inserts in the bulletin couldn't get bigger. They're like this size now. Please give to the flower fund in memory of a, of a loved one. Aren't flowers just the most pointless, like, momentary fleeting thing to, to, to pour our resources and finances into? And on Easter, we buy more flowers than anybody could ever imagine. We just buy them. And, and, and not only that, but there's people who get up on Easter morning, and I've heard of them. They've come to me, and they said, you know what I did? I felt like what I wanted to do, is, and I did it. I went, and I cut all of my flowers down, and I brought them to church so people could put them on the, on the cross. You know, these flowers that could have lasted for weeks and weeks in their garden, they just cut them down, and they bring them to church, and they put them on the cross. Probably the garden cost a lot of money for their gardener to make it look as beautiful as it did. Or maybe even themselves. I don't know. I've been to Armstrong. That place is way too expensive for me. But to cut all your flowers down and bring them. And then the countless amount of volunteer hours. You know that we give away free bagels and coffee at Easter Lacey Park. And some people might say, oh gosh, that's a lot of money to be spending. But you know the, one of the best things that we can do as a church in, in order to in order to contribute to the mission of this world is to lavish upon Jesus to overflow for Jesus, to do things that are extravagant for Jesus. This is exactly why we were made. 
You see, if we only give to mission and we only focus on mission, but we forget why we do the mission, then we have no point in what we do. If we lack the passion and we lack the overflow and we lack the, the depth of love and the gestures that are so necessary to communicate our love to Jesus and have people see it and to do it in a way that, that other people can criticize and other people can say, you know, look at those people. They're just, they're just over the top about Jesus. I don't even know what to do with those people. I would love that reputation. I don't think anybody has ever said that about me. But that tells me that I probably need to get out of the box more in my life. And I need to start living more extravagantly and loving more extravagantly. And, and so that more people are more critical of how I love Jesus. Look at him. He's crazy. He's, he's just over the top for Jesus. Why aren't they saying that about me? They're not. Are they saying that about you? Are they critical of the way in which you love Jesus? If not, maybe we need to do a check of our heart and our, and our soul. And I love what Jesus does. He stands up for Mary. He says, don't you dare criticize what she did. I will stand up for her. Because what she did is what she did. I remember... I, <laughs> If, if this was done today, $30,000 worth of perfume, and you just poured it out, I would honestly be thinking, I would love that money to pay down some credit cards. Or I would love that money to buy, a, to buy the new $30,000 Tesla that's coming out. Like, this is my, like, like man crush on a, a car. I remember going to Vegas, and my brother-in-law worked for Vegas, and he said, come here, you need to come into this side room. This is where the high rollers play. And they had, I, I, thought it, I thought it was hard for me to play $25 chips. <laughs> they had $10,000 chips. I remember the guy stacking up the $10,000 chips. And, and I thought, if I could just interrupt him for a second, I could say, you know, you could pay for my college. That would be okay. You just pay down all my college debt just with that. Just hand it over here. You know, uh, there's a famous quote where a guy goes up to Mark Twain and he says, he says about this guy, I love this quote, he says about this oil-rich billionaire. He says, your friend Rogers is a good fellow. I bet his, I know, it's probably from San Marino, I don't know. But your friend Rogers is a good fellow. Uh, and he was Rogers of Standard Oil fame. So I'm serious, I've met some Standard Oil people around here. But it, he said, but it's a pity his money is tainted. And Mark Twain responds and he says, actually, it's twice tainted. Taint yours and taint mine. <laughs> Jesus says this all the time. Keep your eyes on your own plate. Don't judge the worship of other people. But at the same time, don't be shy from being extravagant. Living this day as though this may be the very last day that you have to worship Jesus here on the face of this earth. If you have an opportunity to be extravagant for Jesus in a way that people will, will, will be shocked to discover. And I just want to read this little thought to you. This moment is uh, a moment between Mary and Jesus. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about Jesus. He's a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this about Jesus. He says, in Christ we have no more direct relationships with anyone. We all have mediated 
relationships. Now, that means that Jesus stands in between our relationships with Judas's in the world. Jesus even stands between our relationships with Mary's when sometimes we are the Judas, being overly critical of other people and what they're doing and how they're loving Jesus. Jesus is the one who stands between us and he stands up for us and he says, don't you dare for a second judge the way that that person is loving Jesus in their life. And you know what's most amazing about this is I think that Mary understood how much Jesus loved her. I think she had a foreshadowing of the crucifixion because Jesus says she saved this for my burial. When all the other disciples were just content with hanging out with Jesus on this last normal meal that he would have for the rest of his life, this was just in his, in, among his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and his disciples, his favorite place to be, just having a dinner. And, and it's as though Mary recognized that Jesus' extravagance and his love for her was more than any thousand alabaster jars filled with nard. And it was real, and you could smell it. And it was itchy. And it was irritating. And it, and, it, and it dominated the room. And it could not go away. And the smell of death that was to come for Jesus was something that was potent and would not be able to be ignored. And Mary brought it right there to the center, his sacrifice in the room. It's not something that we can ignore. And so now as we're sitting here in the stink of nard, May our brains somehow process and receive the knowledge that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was real for us. And may we be willing to go out into the streets and to tell people in a way that is humbling. In a way that we'd be willing to... I I thought about drying your feet with my hair today, but it just wouldn't work. It would feel like like those things that file your feet down. But Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. And he loved us so much more than we could ever love him. There's no amount of kneeling. There's no amount of expense. There's no amount of anything that you can do that is more extravagant than the love of Jesus. And everything pales in comparison. And we must understand that Jesus is the power by which every need of every widow and every orphan in this world will be covered. And so if you ever think that there's not enough resources in this world to meet the needs of those people who are in such desperate place, then, then think again, because Jesus Christ says, I have them in the palm of my hand. Just work with me. He loves us so much. Let's pray. Lord, you love us so extravagantly, and it's more than, um, more than we're comfortable to acknowledge sometimes. And your death was so real. And it was so obvious and potent and irritating. And it still irritates us, God, that you died in that way. It still tugs at our hearts. And um, it's still the thing that we don't like to talk about. But God, we recognize that your death was for us. You conquered death and you came back to life and you, and you showed us how extravagant your love is so that we could live.
So God, help us to live, help, help us to love, help us to know how to love in a way that uh, is not afraid to raise our hands or, or kneel down or, or make a spectacle of ourselves. Help us to love in a way that, um, that other people will be critical of us for. Um, and help us to do that, not just here in worship, but everywhere we go. Um, and we thank you that, uh, that we have a rock star like Barry to lift up and to look, for, look to in our life and in our history to, to recognize this powerful woman of faith. And um, God, I pray that, that we would seek to be rock stars like her be famous like Mary. People who uh, stand out from the crowd because of their love for you. Amen.